Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. And we have a joy, the joy of celebrating that this morning, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And to do that in part, as we do close out, finish up this series that we've been in on the book of Psalms, the songs of Jesus. And it's really quite fitting that we bring this series to a close today because as much as these were the songs from very early on that shaped Jesus' life, it was, like Catherine said, only in his death and resurrection that they were finally satisfied. When all the questions of the Psalms found their answers and all the problems of the Psalms found their solutions and all the hope found its fulfillment. Which I hope we see today as much as we've seen at any other point as we turn our attention to Psalm 145. This is the last Psalm of David and both introduces and reverberates into the five hallelujah psalms that then close out the collection. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there, follow along with me as we work through that. Again, from in Psalm 145, verses 1 to 21. But before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this day that is so significant in the year of your church, in which we remember the most significant moment of all your work in history. I pray that as much as ever before that now the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart is much as I pray that the meditation of all our hearts, I pray that it would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I was shocked Monday afternoon when I was walking through the locker room at the Y Not for what you might think, but when I looked up at the TV screen and saw Notre Dame de Paris engulfed in flames. Did you see it? I could not believe what I was watching. It was only a few years ago that we stood there with Emmett when he was a a little kid. Alethea was even smaller. I think Eden was, was, was just making her way in this world. And now, this monumental cathedral was burning to the ground. Absolutely shocked that one of the great cathedrals of our world that took over a hundred years to build was burning to the ground in a matter of minutes. And yet, in another sense... It wasn't shocking at all, because Notre Dame has long ceased to be the house of worship 
it was built for. And it burned in part because of the years of neglect. I don't know if you've been following the stories, but that's the headline. That it burned in part because it wasn't kept up as it was supposed to be. So that what's perhaps more shocking of its actually burning down, at least in the the parts that did, what's more shocking than that is how unequivocally the French Republic has called for its resurrection. And how on this side of the devastation, over a billion dollars has been pledged for it to be restored. When just last year they weren't even able to raise a couple million to be restored while France remains one of the globe's most aggressively secular states in which la laicite, the freedom from religion, has long taken precedence over the freedom of religion and a radical separation of church and state has become the touchstone of its government. And as one op-ed writer put it, the lightning-fast destruction of this iconic cathedral is merely emblematic of the slow destruction of the shared Christian values that once underpinned this once glorious state. Because the vision of Notre Dame on fire is the tragic result of that nation's spiritual apathy. And this is the end at which our world is aimed when it fails to worship God. With the worship of God engulfed in flames. Just let that picture sink in for a moment. That when we walk away from God, There's nothing left to walk away from. With the worship of God engulfed in flames. And yet, far from the snuffing out of that worship, David here in this last psalm envisions the day when that worship will not be engulfed itself, but when the worship of God will itself engulf the world. When the kindling of David's personal praise will fan into flame a communal praise and ultimately end in the blaze of a universal praise of God forevermore. Which is what I want to look at just briefly with you today at the personal, communal, and universal ultimately universal praise of God. First, at the kindling of David's personal praise, which is where he begins in verse 1, saying, I will extol you, O my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And notice just how much this is apparently bursting from his seams. 
Because this isn't something he needs to convince himself to do. It's something he cannot not do. Which with the double negative means he has to do. It's something he, he, he has to and he piles up the verbiage to express it. That I will exalt you, praise your name, praise you and extol your name forever and ever because David can't contain himself. He's just got to repeat it over and over just to express the overflow of his heart. And it's a continual, uncontainable, personal praise of God. This is where it begins. And not just of God, but of my God and King. Because at the end of the day, this comes down to the question, not of whether there is a God. That's not what this is about. But of whether or not the one true God is yours. Or whether you're serving something else, trusting in something else, hoping in something else. It was Martin Luther who defined God as what we turn to for pleasure as much as we turn to to save us from the pain. So what's yours? What do you turn to for pleasure and to save you from the pain? Music? Movies? Entertainment? Family? Finances? Food? Possessions or power? Significance, security, or sex? Or can you say, like David, that your God is the one true God? Not that any of these other things are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they're meant to further our pursuit of God, not take His place. Because unlike other gods, the one true God is, like David says, great and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Which means his greatness can't be tapped out because he's not like some show that you get done binge watching that leaves you feeling like you're dumber than when you started. So you just got to choose the next one. As if life is as pointless that you just got to go one to the next. His greatness is unsearchable. Not in the sense that it it can't be searched, but in the sense that it cannot be searched out. Which, just as a side note, means that if if you've got God in, in one of these little boxes where you've got Him all figured out and just where you want Him, right where you want Him, and maybe you've even become bored with Him, chances are that you're probably no longer looking at the one true God either. Because by definition, the one true God is not someone we can master, but someone we must be mastered by. And for this, and and that this God 
who is holy other, has entered into relationship with us, we dare say with David, he is mine. This kindling of personal praise. Though it's not meant to stop there. It's meant to fan into flame, second, a communal praise, a praise that is bigger than just yourself. When as verse 4 says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. When one generation takes what we do know of God, which is what he's revealed about himself in history, and passes that on to the next. So that the Abby and Zach Lewises get to stand up here and say for themselves, I've committed my own life to Jesus. Because this is how it crescendos. This is how the whole thing crescendos. Not with some guy grabbing a bullhorn and amplifying his own voice on the street corner. It's when one voice tells the story and eventually is joined by a thousand other voices like it. And you can picture it, can't you? Because this is the power of storytelling. Hollywood knows it. I was watching an interview with some of Hollywood's top actors. One was asked, why do you do what you do? To which he said, I do it because we as actors have the ultimate power. Because historically, story combined with imagery moves humanity forward. And what we do, he said, is the ultimate forum for changing people's hearts and minds. Wow. And yet, how much more? Not just another story on Netflix, but, but do we have in the story that makes sense of all the rest? And I know this for myself. Because this is where it started for me. Working in the garage with my dad, doing manly stuff, playing with power tools. And yet over it all, my dad telling me the story, recounting over and over again how God had saved him from a life that was headed nowhere. And chose not only to save him, but lo and behold, for him to find out that God had saved an entire people for himself. That God was in the business of saving people. And had been doing so since the days of Adam. In the days of Abraham. My father, one generation, commending God's works to another. Fanning into flame a, a praise bigger than himself. And now guess what I'm doing? Working in the garage alongside my kids. Doing manly stuff with my one boy. And doing a lot of girly stuff with the girls. And telling them the same story that my father told me. Because now it's my story too. Fanning the flame. Because like David says in verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. 
And then what? Then they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. And they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When the kindling of a personal praise fans into flame the communal. But ultimately ends third in the blaze of a universal praise that will engulf the whole world. That's what fire does. It it consumes and engulfs everything in its path. And that's the same with the praise of God. Because there is no other suitable end to the story. And the story we tell and the story so many of us have become wrapped up in isn't just a story for us or for those like us who are willing to listen, but a story, it's a story that one way or another, whether anyone likes it or not, is the story of all. Like David says in verse 9, the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he made. So what? So all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. He says, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power in order to to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. That your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. But just like they're trying to do and figuring out what started the fire in Notre Dame, it's worth asking here, even at this point, what sparks the fire that will eventually engulf the world? And there's a couple answers even here if you look down at verses 13 and follow that through to the end. That you'll see that, 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 that it's a twofold reason. It's a twofold spark that the universal blaze of this cosmic crescendo rests on the one hand on God's care for creation. That he gives food in its season and satisfies every living thing. He's the one that fine-tuned the universe. He's the fine-tuner. He's the lawgiver that makes the world work like it does so that everyone is provided for, that infinitesimally small, constant, that that, that had to be tuned in a way that is unimaginably precise for life to exist at all, that he's the one who did it. Because none of us can throw the dart across the span of the known universe and hit the the bullseye that is a mere millimeter large. He's the one who has cared for creation. But on the other hand, maybe even more so, it rests on God's covenant commitment. As it says, he is near to all who call on him. That he fulfills the desires of those who fear him and preserves those who love him. 
so that David can finally say, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And yet, if you know anything about David at all, you'll know that what David saw and what David sung about in this psalm even wasn't something David saw fulfilled for himself. Because the spark that that great David saw that, that, that would take a, the kindling of his personal praise and, and fan the flame of his people's communal praise that would ultimately end in the blaze of this universal praise would not be struck until great David's greater son died and rose again. When God's promise of a coming king would finally be fulfilled. When the one forsaken by God would finally be vindicated as his own. When he'd rule as a king like Solomon never could. When the covenant would be kept like everyone begged through that middle book of the Psalms. When the sacrificed priest would be crowned the living king. When the stone that the builders rejected would become the cornerstone. And the very child of God would be dashed on the rock of Golgotha in order to rise again and dash death itself on our behalf. When the songs of David and everyone who sung after him, and this song as well, would prove to be a song of Jesus. And while we live in a day where monuments like Notre Dame burn to the ground, and the bygone faith that built them seems to have died off, Let us not forget that we likewise live in a day of unparalleled advancement of the kingdom. Maybe not in the West that we know, although God is moving there as well. But we live in a day where now more have turned to Jesus than ever before and found in him and continue to find in him the king that they always needed. When this vision of a universal praise is right on the cusp of being realized. When great David's vision of great David's greater son will be brought to completion. Let me leave you then at the end of this journey 
as David's call for praise reverberates again into the Psalms that close out this collection. Let me leave you with three questions. A what, a where, and a how. First, a what. In the sense of what have you made of the spark? What have you made of the death and resurrection of Jesus? Because while at least in our own culture, belief in the efficacy of Jesus' death and of the reality of Jesus' resurrection continues to wane, at least in the West, at least in our culture. These remain the dual linchpins of the faith, of our faith, and are what took the the, the fading coals of Judaism and spread them as a wildfire Christianity to the far reaches of the world. So what do you make of the death and resurrection of Jesus? Because these are the most hotly debated and most rigorously questioned aspects of our faith for a reason. And you ought to, if you have any love for Jesus, you ought to, if you have any hope of a future, you ought to, if you have any desire to be part of his kingdom, you ought to spend some time looking deeply and reading deeply and getting these issues straight. It's worth your time. It's worth your time to not just leave on the sidelines, but ask, did it really happen? Because if it did, it changes everything. So first, what do you make of the spark? Second, where are you fanning the flame? Because just like with David, if this spark has lit the kindling of your personal praise, it's meant to fan into flame a communal praise bigger than yourself. With your husband or with your wife, with your kids or with your parents, with your friends and family, your colleagues, your coworkers, that Declaring the faith and passing on this story ought to occupy a significant portion of your relationships. And we do that in a number of ways. Of getting into the stories of others. Then we have the right to, to share our story as well. Of living that story out and allowing the story to raise the questions we can then answer. But we do it also by taking risks and inviting others to hear that story and be a part of that story even before they're ready for the invitation. By wearing our faith on our sleeves as as much as anybody who doesn't believe this story would wear their faith on their sleeves. And maybe, most simply, by just asking them, asking people if they'd like to read some 
of that story with us. My brother was just telling me this week of an encounter he's been having with his supervisor. He, he works as a chaplain up at Massachusetts General Hospital, one of the largest hospital organizations in our country. 20, I think it's 27,000 employees. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And he works as one of the six chaplains under this supervisor who really doesn't like his Jesus. Really doesn't like what he does with Jesus, what he believes in Jesus. And is constantly getting on his case for all of it. So my brother asked her, you want to read about this Jesus? This Jesus you walked away with so long ago? You want to read about him? Let's sit down and read the Gospel of John. And it just happened. It just happened. And they're going to start this coming week. And I'd encourage you even this week to be thinking of an individual that you could ask. Think of someone that you're already in relationship with but whom you've never taken the next step of going deeper. And I'd encourage you to just ask the question. Just let it slip. Want to read the Bible with me? And if they say yes, then just come quickly to my office. We'll work out what you do next. (laughs) But just let it slip. Because the flame that starts in us is meant to be fanned into something bigger than ourselves. What have you made of the spark? What are you, how are you, where are you fanning the flame? And third, how are you looking forward to the day that blaze engulfs the whole world? How are you looking forward? Because we now live again in between a promise of Christ's return and that promise being fulfilled. Just like God's people lived between the promise of a coming king and the first coming of Christ so long ago. So that sometimes for us, just like it was for them, it feels much more natural to live in the pits between the promise and the praise than to actually live on the mountaintops of either side. It feels much more comfortable in that middle book three. And yet, I want you to see that as much as that is written for us to give us voice for the hardest times in our lives, even the middle part, even the beginning part, every part is aimed at and actually embodies this sense of praise for a God who's doing his thing. If you go back and look at the end of book one when the promise was made, book two when the promise was at stake, If you go and look at book three when nobody even thought the promise was possible, the end of every one of them ends with this absolutely awkward praise for God. But it's because all of it is aimed again at these five crescendoing hallelujah psalms that cap off the entire thing. So that as much as we find ourselves in the pits. We ought to be aimed at the praise. Because this is the journey of the Psalms. 
And today, you have to see that it was also the journey of Jesus. Because isn't this the story of his whole life? The promise of exaltation that had to go through the pit of pits to come out the other side, the risen Lord. And if God's already done it for his people once and already done it in Jesus, it ought to drive us to look past whatever despair we are in and forward to the day that this blaze will engulf the whole world. That even in the pits, you can praise the God of promise just as Jesus did. And look forward to the promise fulfilled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd imprint it on our hearts. The efficacy of the crucifixion, the reality of the resurrection. That you would spark the kindling of our personal praise. And that from there you would so move us that we would join you in the work of fanning the flame of a communal praise. Ever looking forward as we await the fulfillment of a promise again. Ever looking forward to the day that blaze will engulf your world. In the name of your Son, in whom we trust to do it, I pray, amen. As you go and continue to sing the Psalms in life, which I hope you do, I pray you would do so knowing that they are the songs of Jesus, remembering his coming at first and looking forward to his return. For joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K I S H Bible.org.